But the problem is when you're creative, you can also creatively imagine all the things that might go wrong and disasters with the world. And if you add any empathic tendencies or sensitivity on top of that, it really can escalate. Hey, I'm Nicole. And I'm Patty, her daughter. And my mom has the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. Actually, kind of hard with dyslexia, but my mom's podcast helps new parents. Please listen to the Dyslexia Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Holcomb, a mom just like you raising a daughter with dyslexia. I also have 20 years of experience as an educator, school counselor, school district administrator, and an attorney. I can't wait to share conversations with you about parenting children with dyslexia. This is the Dyslexia Mom Life Podcast. You are listening to episode 10, and today we have a very special guest with us, Dr. Megan Mann. She's the owner of the Peachtree Art Therapy and Counseling Center. She's a registered art therapist and a licensed professional counselor. She is simply amazing. I love that part of what makes her so unique is that her doctorate is in art therapy. She loves researching art therapy and she loves parent-child communication. She has a specialty and expertise in uh, ADHD, conduct and behavior disorders, stress and anxiety disorders, depression, mood disorders, eating disorders, really life adjustments in general. And she provides counseling supervision as well and lectures and workshops and just lots and lots of resources. Today, you're going to love what Dr. Mann has to share with us. I invited her to the podcast to talk with us today about anxiety. So without further delay, enjoy the wonderful Dr. Megan Mann. All right. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. Mann to the show. I'm so honored to have her with us. Um, Dr. Mann and I met a few years ago at a Georgia IDA conference, which for those of you that don't know is International Dyslexia Association. And she did a fantastic session with parents uh, I believe it was on the topic of anxiety, actually, but it may have been some other pieces as well. But I just remembered it was a fantastic presentation, and I really just felt the connection even early on to the way she approached things. And I just thought she would be the perfect person to come and talk to us today about anxiety. So before we dive in, uh, I did share a little bit about you in the intro, but I'd love for you to tell uh, my listeners a little bit about you, Dr. Mann. Yes. So um, dyslexia is a topic very near and dear to my heart, um, not only as a child therapist, but also as a person. Um, As a child, I had dyslexia um, and I went to the skank school here in Atlanta and it literally saved my life. Like I remember the feeling of not reading and pretending to read and, you know, being angry at school and scared and frustrated. And the gift of learning to read and realizing dyslexia was not a problem, but in fact, like really my superpower and the source of a lot of my creative energy and resiliency. Um, So I've just always been very passionate about helping kids deal with the emotional side, especially empowerment. And fast forward many moons later, and I have um, three kids. And right now, one just graduated from Skank and one is currently at Skank. So um, it's genetic. And I think it's actually cool because it's kind of a thing in our family we can share. So um, to me, dyslexia is such an exciting 
thing that just sort of brings us all closer together and is really an opportunity to grow and celebrate learning differences rather than looking at it as like a learning disability or something. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I noticed too, one of the things I think is unique about your practice, uh, and, and give a little plug for your practice. What's the name of your practice? Peachtree Art Therapy and Counseling. Awesome. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about the art therapy? Because you're unique in the fact that you you infuse art and things that kids really, that hands-on component that we know is so important for dyslexics. So can you share a little bit about what that looks like? Yeah. So also as a child, like art was my therapy, doing art after school. I was like, art, this is the thing I can do. There's not spelling, there's not reading, and it's creative and I feel pretty good. So as I got older, I found out about the field of art therapy, which is really integrating art into psychology and what works so well for children is that they're naturally artistic in that visual language and it's such a kinesthetic process that in doing art that's more of like a hands-on and exploratory process we're really building confidence but also working in the language of children rather than trying to translate what children are doing into some kind of adult discourse but really helping them it helps you join with the child, but also it's fun and it gives them a creative way to sort of process and express their feelings in a, like child-centered sort of manner. And I think I've heard you say before too, I mean, you get right in there with them. If you're making a slime or you're doing, I mean, you're right there beside them. It's oh. knee deep in, in whatever it is that y'all are doing together. Oh, my clients are like, wait, is this like a job? Do you get paid to like play with me and make all these? But you know, there's just so much metaphor in the art. And then you may think, oh, we're just making slime. But it's like, no, we're taking something and making a toy for yourself. And it's sticky and it's messy. And we cleaned it up and we changed it. It just is so much that metaphor of control and playfulness. It's just even success, even even in the small pieces of their life, even when they walk away, you know, they've got a little something that they've made that day. And so it helps them feel even accomplished when they leave, you know, an appointment or or leave time spending with you. So I think that would be, you know, very rewarding for the students as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it creates a visual witness so that, and it also gives them a way to translate to their parents. So for example, sometimes I might have kids like externalize or make a character out of dyslexia. Um, I remember one little girl many years ago, we made Lexia the character and you know, we'd talk all about her and what does she need today? And it became a really safe place for her to process that piece of herself and dyslexia in a way that wasn't like learning is a problem, but it was like, oh, wow, this is this awesome side of you that's creative and fun. Yeah, that's great. Well, as we talk about art therapy, let's transition a little bit into our topic today, which for, for many, you know, right now, kind of where we are in July of 2020, but also as we think about children with dyslexia, we, you know, one of the things I know that we experience a lot, unfortunately, in our household is anxiety and, and trying to figure out how does that, how does that play? I know dyslexia doesn't cause anxiety, but some of the struggles that they go through, they, that students do sometimes and children feel anxious. Um, and so I know you talk a good bit about that when I heard your presentation that time. And so could you share a little bit with the listeners about anxiety and how you see that playing in the role of dyslexia? Yeah, so I think that like there's a lot of different emotional processes associated with being dyslexic. And I think on one side of it is a little more the organic or what I call the dyslexic process in the way that we synthesize information being dyslexic may be slightly different than a non-dyslexic person. So sometimes like attention or memory could be affected, which in turn 
could make kids feel anxious because they're like, oh, I missed what you said. I didn't catch that. So that can cause the anxiety. But then also just the situation of being dyslexic. This is sort of just the process of being different or having a learning style that isn't always easily met in traditional school is stressful and can make kids really nervous. I mean, I remember my own self as a child, I went home from school every day of second grade about noon because at one o'clock was reading hour. And I think that the fear of reading or not understanding things or missing things or having to ask for extra help can cause a lot more anxiety because you know you need to learn in a slightly different way and speak up for yourself. And that is inherently anxiety inducing for a lot of kids. So it's sort of this two-way road I think of as emotion and dyslexia, not only the neurocognitive processes, but also just the situation of being a different kind of learner. And the kids just don't always want to be different. Like it doesn't feel good and it's not easy to be dyslexic. Right. That becomes a stressor, I think. Right. And so one of the examples you gave was, you know, maybe memory, maybe they didn't remember to do something or something was said to them and now they're frustrated because they didn't remember. What are some other examples, you know, for, for parents that are at home, what are some things that they might not even realize, oh, that's actually an anxiety sign. That's actually, could you share a few other examples with them as well? Yeah. So kids with their emotions, especially anxiety, isn't necessarily going to look like always what we think of as adult anxiety of feeling worried or stressed, it actually may look a lot more like frustration or anger or being short with you or avoidance. Like it might, you know, I think that typical misperception that kids are lazy when really that just may be their defense mechanism to say, this is overwhelming me. This is too hard. I'm feeling really upset and anxious, but because they don't necessarily have that language their behaviors may be sort of saying a different thing. And so it's really important as parents to kind of look under the hood or the why behind that behavior or action, because they may be mad. I mean, I think anger can come along with being dyslexic because it is frustrating, but that may feel like a safer emotion to express than being like, oh, I'm really worried. I might be embarrassed to have to ask another question in my Zoom meeting with my teacher or or especially if there's any auditory processing component, I think that this whole Zoom learning platform is can be very hard. Right, right. And 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 being really nervous because then you can see yourself talking and you know, there's just this whole other level. Right. Yeah, ex- I agree. And and you talked a little bit too about the which I think is important for for moms to hear is the why behind that because sometimes it could be that it's hard, right? Sometimes it's hard to figure out what is it? Is it anxiety? Is it lack of sleep? Is it both? Is it that maybe there's not enough reading tutoring? And so they're frustrated because they're not getting what they need to kind of, you know, remediate their dyslexia where they feel comfortable um, and, and starting to see some signs of success. So I think it's hard sometimes to know. And that's why I was asking, you know, some, some examples to help with. Uh, as parents do start to see those signs and think, you know, I think there may be some underlying anxiety here. Do you have any tips for things they can try at home uh, as far as maybe, you know, deep breathing or, you know, I know some people say yoga and different things. Is there anything that you recommend as far as things for parents to try at home, especially if they end up with some of the digital online learning again and the kids are home a lot? Is there things that they can try to help out with the anxiety levels? Yeah, because I mean, I think that's like, kind of this inevitable thing moving forward, this possible back to online, you know, and not only are we as parents, not teachers, we're not Orton Gillingham or Wilson trained teachers. So it's this whole 
other beast is even for me as a therapist with dyslexia, I was still like, oh my gosh, online learning. So I think it's really important to certain things. There's kind of what I call tools of prevention and tools of intervention. And so you want to think about what are the strategies that maybe you're using with your child to prevent them from getting overly stressed, like being able to give them a lot of time in the morning, you know, getting all that enough sleep, um, eating breakfast, I think is an especially like that hangry sort of meltdown that you might see. Um, and also having a learning strategy with the teacher, particularly if they're not in a dyslexic program, to make sure that you're coordinating with the teacher, like, hey, what's going on, so that you can provide a little more of that scaffolding at home. Because I think dyslexic learners, while the online is visual, it's not as tactile. And so it feels sometimes harder to hold on to. Um, and I think, too, with that piece, too, about the teachers, as I think, you know, they did a, a great job in 24 hours putting together things for us to, to continue education last year. But I also think that with some of that is, you know, really having that partnership with the school to be able to say, OK, I get that this is what you assigned, but we're not going to be able to get to this piece. <laughs> you know, and so I think that, like you were saying, just having that dialogue with the teacher and having a good relationship with the teacher to be able to say, okay, we've hit a wall, this is not working, or, you know, we're not going to be able to do the 20 problems, but we can do 10, and, and just having constant conversations about what it's looking like, because they're not there to see it face-to-face. -face. Yeah, because I just think this time really demands us as parents to be more on our children's learning profile and really see the things. That's what I feel like I noticed this spring. I was like, oh, like, I see how this dyslexia is playing out when I'm sitting with my daughter trying to learn these things. Um, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. And then the um, other side also are the tools of intervention. So if you notice your child is starting to panic or freak out, I think that's when it's really important to give them a brain break and realize that the work of learning when you're dyslexic, it's almost like you're running an extra lap in your brain for every regular lap a non-dyslexic child is running. So you know, I think sometimes his parents were like, how do you not get this by now? But it's, it's so much more. And so being able to say, hey, let's take a brain break. And really what you want to do when you start to get anxious is because it's such a physiological response is that you really do. And that is why I like taking a deep breath. But sometimes kids find that annoying if they're already mad. They're like, I don't take a deep breath. <laughs> um, and that's where I think doing things like crossing the midline of your body but being able to do that is really integrating the hemispheres of your brain and helping kids de-stress. And so even like if you say, okay, let's stop and like do 10 jumping jacks or like let's do, even that's why that yoga is so good because it crosses that midline and kind of helps us recenter and be back feeling calm. Um, a lot of kids also, I find dyslexic and ADHD kids sometimes like something that makes you physiologically calm. So even having like something like lavender or having maybe one of those weighted beanbag kind of stuffed animals, you can even make one with the sock and put it in your lap. Just some things that are self-soothing so that you can help your kid calm down. Uh, I think it's really good when it comes to feeling anxious, especially in the school moment. Right. Uh, and then I actually think, tell me if I'm over talking, but a lot of, one of the best things I feel like I do as a therapist is I work with kids to come up with their own tools. So I'll say, okay, I'm noticing that you're getting really anxious. Let's first write down, what do we think are the triggers? Now maybe let's create a character. What does anxiety look like? 
and then maybe saying, okay, now we've named it. So um, Dan Siegel calls this name it to tame it. And so kind of helping kids identify what is the worry brain or anxiety, how does that affect them? And so that they can then articulate to you, usually when they're not so anxious, what's the strategy that can work? Because um, breathing in a cognitive way, it totally works. Like if you look at the research, but I find it's very hard to get kids to take a deep breath if you're already level 10. Right. So, take a deep breath. So say, okay, well, what are some other things maybe we could do? Okay. And, and I guess a part of that too is how, as parents, do we know when we no longer can manage it at home? I mean, at what point should families consider seeking more professional help from a counselor or family therapist or someone that works with children with anxiety? And, and I think ideally, if they are familiar with dyslexia, it's a, it's a bonus, but I know for some people, they may not have that option in their town, yeah. their city. So, but what are some signs that, and parents usually know that at that point, they have that gut realization, okay, this, we're, we've, we've got to that point, but are there any signs that they should look for to say, okay, we, we might want to take this next step? Um, the biggest thing is, is this stress or worry inhibiting the quality of their life? If your child loves soccer and they're like, mm, I don't want to play, I don't, if you see them not doing things you know they like, that can be a big red flag because you're always looking at a emotional health when things shift into more of a disorder. Is this inhibiting the quality of their life? Like, are they holding back from maybe, you know, some kids with dyslexia might get sad or embarrassed and not want to go spend time with their friends or um, avoid things they really like or develop more unhealthy coping skills of trying to control other things. They're like, okay, I can't control my learning, so I'm going to be pickier about food. or I'm not, you know, and especially um, one of the biggest times we see anxiety pop up is at nighttime because that's when you're laying there ruminating, thinking about the day. Um, and so just to kind of recognize, and I trusting your mom gut or your dad gut is like numero uno. Like you can feel it when your child isn't quite themselves. And quite frankly, a good therapist, if they're like, you know, this is not a big deal. We just need four or five sessions to learn a few tools, then it's no problem. So I think you don't even need to worry about waiting till it's like enough of a problem. But if you're like, gosh, I really wish my kid could have some more tools, you know, maybe start with finding some books about anxiety um, or books that are maybe about um, what I talk about emotional literacy, like helping them learn to articulate their feelings and then if you're getting some of those red flags, eating, sleeping, um, avoidance, then those are a sign that maybe you want to ask your pediatrician or psychologist or somebody um, to maybe get a referral for something a little more in-depth. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about sleep. So you talked a little bit for a moment about anxiety and sleep. Do you see that a lot in your practice as far as children with dyslexia? Maybe it's anxiety or not, but just having difficulty sleeping at night? Yeah, so I think it's a couple of things because it usually comes with anxiety because anxiety, your brain's like all fired up. Like, what about this? What about this? What about that? You know, sometimes with depression, you might see kids sleeping more seeming lethargic. Now, not always because depression's different in kids. But with anxiety, you see a lot of that trouble falling asleep and kind of trouble unwinding. And I think that's particularly pertinent in kids with dyslexia that are also creative. Um, don't know that there's totally definitive research, but I think maybe I'm biased that dyslexic people are gift to the world is sometimes our creativity and visual thinking. 
But the problem is when you're creative, you can also creatively imagine all the things that might go wrong and disasters with the world. And if you add any empathic tendencies or sensitivity on top of that, it really can escalate uh, some of those problems and make it very hard to fall asleep or stay asleep. Um, so it's important to establish kind of a good bedtime routine with those kids. I ask, is there anything you suggest as far as for families that are having trouble you know, getting their mind to turn off is that I know some people say weighted blankets or try to have a routine, but if those things aren't working, you know, what, you know, what are some other suggestions, I guess, perhaps? Yeah. So I think use the the power of creativity for good and be like, okay, we're going to envision a happy place story. And I want you to put your mind there. Now, if the worry tries to sneak in, this is your happy place bubble. So like it could be whatever for some kids it might be relaxing like on a lake but for other kids it might be like oh you're on a roller coaster and it's really fun but helping them redirect their active brain into more of like an active meditation because i think to think nothing is virtually impossible for these overactive creative kids so it's kind of like helping them invite a good dream rather than being all stressful things right yeah well i know at our house there's always it seems like uh, with our daughter, she's like, there's just so much going on. I have so many ideas and just, you know, and even sometimes in the morning, I know it's going to be a busy day when we wake up and she says, I have this great idea <laughs> because I know it's probably, we're going to create a business today. <laughs> Are we going to create something? Because she's had this really intense thought over the times that she's been sleeping. Um, and just, you know, it just seems like for dyslexic uh, kiddos and I guess adults as well that, that there's just so much going on all the time so much fire firing up there and thinking um, which is amazing yeah. but it also is so hard sometimes to to get that sleep and we know how important it is and I talked to her about that how important it is for her body and her brain to have that break yes yeah and that I mean there's just so much great research that shows the importance of getting that sleep and that deep sleep state is really when your brain can kind of flush out all the things. And that's such the dyslexic gift to wake up in the morning and be like, I have an idea for a new business. Like that's that the gift of the creative child is while they're exhausting. It's so fun. Like that's just such a magic thing. And I was thinking too, as I read some more on this topic as well, is that, you know, for example, when I go to sleep, I want it to be a dark room. I want it to be quiet but other people in my family, that's not the case. And so I have found for her, she goes to sleep better with the TV on and usually watching the same program. Like she might watch the same show we watched last night. Like that's just, so I think that's like her white noise. And so I was just wondering, you know, for, for parents that, you know, it's okay for it to look different, I guess. And it may look different for different kids in your household as far as, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be a warm bath, put your pajamas on, brush your teeth and get in bed. It may just look different for this child. And and that's okay. Yeah. And I think that's the gift of dyslexia is like, hey, guess what? You've got a child that the standard blueprint of learning is not necessarily going to fit. So in some ways, I think dyslexic parents were more equipped to like deal with changes to the status quo, you know, because we're kind of willing to lean into our different learners. And so also leaning into a different kind of bedroom routine, which is actually funny because I totally think whenever I'm scared or something, I much prefer some sort of movie I've seen a hundred times in the background because it almost becomes like a bedtime story where I'm like oh. hey yeah right exactly so that I thought that was very interesting and I, I thought oh I'm, I'm yeah. seeing that here at my house so yeah and do what works like you know 
Right. Right. I think you went with what you said earlier. You got to go with, with your parenting gut. Like if you think it's going to work, try it. The other thing that worked for us really well was um, using essential oils. And using, yeah, that's really helped us a lot. Even us adults in our house, we that's, that's just kind of calming for us. So yeah. And you think, oh, that seems kind of hippy dippy or whatever, but it's actually really amazing because our sensory memory can trigger things. And so a lot of times we're actually conditioning ourselves or kids to be like, oh, lavender, calm, soothing voice. So we're sort of pairing a smell with a behavior to increase it. Right. Exactly. You talked a little bit earlier about, um, how anxiety also can kind of be, I guess, I don't know, I don't know the right word is triggered. So feel free to correct me, but it seems like, and I've talked to to many parents about this as well, is that dyslexic children, and, and I guess you could speak from that from an adult perspective, for some of them, empathy is real intense. And so we're seeing more and more signs of that, especially as we are still in the middle of the pandemic it's just, you know, I've talked to a couple of parents and they're like, oh, we have, we've, you know, one parent in particular said she had read a lot about it and that there is some signs or some scientific research about empathy for dyslexic kiddos. And so I just didn't know if, if you had experienced that as well. Um, I haven't read the research on that, but it makes a lot of sense. Like it wouldn't be surprising if that were the case only because again, I think if you look at how, and, and there's all different kinds of ways of being dyslexic, but I would be willing to bet that your ability to sense and in tune emotion in a like more empathic way would often be a naturally occurring personality brain processing pattern for kids with dyslexia. Again, because, you know, somebody told me dyslexia is almost like taking highways everywhere to learn. You're like, okay, yep, that's that. So you're like missing the letter, you know, you're thinking more globally and less like the detail oriented. So I think sometimes those global thinkers also tend to be empathetic, like empathetic thinkers too. It's like those kind of kids are like, I don't know. I just know how it feels. Like they kind of get the essence of things a lot and we'll have that big fear, which is again, like especially highly sensitive kids, big feeler is such a, gift, but also such a challenge during this time. And it's important to be extra cautious about maybe what they hear or make sure that to check in with them because they may borrow other people's anxiety, like worrying about other people's grandparent or worrying about the dog or, you know, right. they're the, the people that notice the world. And so they feel the world. Right. Right. Which also, I mean, once they become adults will be huge advantages, you know, in their, yeah. in their, and in their work world to be able to see and be in tune with people it just it seems like right now it causes as as they're young it's it's a high level of anxiety for them you know <laughs> trying to well, so out. they're a little brain to process because they're like I know how this feels and I can't quite articulate it and now I'm kind of overwhelmed with emotion and again if you're overwhelmed with emotion it makes learning harder but then you're more of an intuitive learner if you can process the emotion it's you know it's just such a multi-layer yin-yang kind of thing. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So as we record this show uh, today, it's late July, almost August. And, you know, our kids have been home, uh, for us in Georgia anyway, four months, getting close to five months that they've been home. And so... Long summer. It's been a long summer. And so we're all a little bit stir crazy. Uh, to, that's an understatement, I think. And so 
you know, as we see the state of Georgia is making constant decisions about school almost daily, and we see other states in the country falling suit as far as how is school going to look. So I know for, you know, our kids, this is, none of us have gone through a pandemic before. So as I think about for our dyslexic learners, as they get ready to go back to school, you know, how do we help at home ease that anxiety and that school stress? So let's take the first layer of it, which is what about for our kids that are going to go back to school and they are going to have in-person. And so now when they go to school, it looks different. It's social distancing. It's, you know, I'm in second grade and I can't hold my best friend's hand and it's got to wear a mask all day and my teacher's wearing a shield and, you know, I sit and think about it, which I probably shouldn't. And it's overwhelming for me and uh, I'm 48 years old. So I can't imagine, you know, for these, for all of our kids, I mean, any, any, even in college, you know, they're having anxiety, but for the younger ones, I guess that's where my heart is since mine's so young right now. But, you know, I think too, they're cognitively, you know, being able to have a conversation with them about their anxiety looks different than a 16 year old and, and setting things up for them to be successful. So I guess my question is saying all that is, is as we look at the one option, that some students are returning face-to-face for instruction, but it looks different than it looked last spring. What are some things we could do at home to try to ease that anxiety and ease that stress if we can? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is just innately going to be there for all kids because one of the most anxiety-inducing situations sometimes is where things are the same but different. And I think that's kind of how school is going to feel. And I think so many of our Dyslexic kids also have about 50% have co-occurring some ADHD or other processing so that not hugging your, I'm only imagining the number of masks my children are going to lose in this process uh, will be terrible. Uh, But anyways, I I think the important thing is as much as you can, because I know as a parent, I'm also anxious because I'm like, how am I going to go to work? What if they have to be home for two weeks? How are we going to dig? There's so many, this is such an anxious time that it's almost impossible not to have some angst or anxiety about school. Much is unknown. And I think, (laughs) you know, it's just where it's the ultimate unknown. Um, You know, but I think also that our dyslexic kids are creative and can be really resilient. One of the gifts I think of dyslexia is that you learn to navigate something hard and hopefully kids take that lesson with them moving forward. But in the short term for school, I think it's really important to be talking to kids about, you know, school might be a little different. I know Skank made this cute video about, uh, we're going to wash your hands and your teacher's going to look like this. But as much as you can kind of preparing your kids, oh, it's going to be a little bit different. But you know what? Your teachers are still the same and they love you. So it's kind of pairing the both ends. It's going to be different. And we're going to be really excited to see your teachers. Um, because I think when they feel prepared, as much as they can, then I think they're going to feel a little less anxious because they're going to somewhat know to what to expect. Um, but that's where I think, because it's also, we've been out of school for so long. I think kids are very anxious about going back. Um, and so even maybe just doing a drive-by of your school before you're going to go this fall and be like, oh, and, and even going online and looking up maybe a picture of your teacher and thinking, oh, what am I really looking forward to about school this year? So starting to kind of build the dialogue about school because this has been the longest stretch that they've been without school and I know some of my kids dyslexic or not that um come see me 
they're anxious about school anyway. So now I think they've had this like super home time and maybe our social skills aren't too sharp that we kind of want to practice some of these things or maybe even scheduling either a distanced play date or even like a FaceTime with the friend group just to kind of get nothing them back in because I think when they can be prepared then that's much better because the, the piece that makes me a little curious is I have my youngest is three and I usually walk him into school but we're not going to be able to do that so I'm like oh no it's like the parents aren't going to be in the school as much right so it might be like a little it's going to be uncharted territory for us all and I think also making sure as a parent if you're feeling overly anxious to also focus on the things that make you feel calm because our kids are intuitive. They're going to pick yeah. up on that too. I'm glad you said that. Cause I was thinking that while you were talking that, you know, we really are our children's first teachers and they really do take their cues from us. And so, although sometimes that's hard, right? I mean, we're having all the, the angst and the, you know, confusion and um, concern because we want all of our kids to be safe, but we also want them to have, um, a good learning experience while they're at school. And so it is, but I think you're absolutely right. You know, if it's that you need to take 10 minutes to, to journal or to do yoga or to walk around the block or whatever, before you get your kids up to get them ready for school or to have those discussions, then, you know, you, you have to do the best you can to be, you know, you've got to be strong for them and, and kind of put on a, a brave face to help them as well. Yeah. And, and the gift of parent imperfection. If we were perfect, then our children wouldn't realize how hard life is sometimes. So I think sometimes it's important to make a mistake or screw things up in front of your kids to be like, oh, whoops, like that wasn't the best way to handle it. I wonder how I could have done that differently. So whenever you do, I know in the morning, sometimes like I'll be like, get your things. And then I'm like, oh, who's this cranky lady screaming at her children? Come from. <laughs> you have to like own that to your kids and say, I'm sorry, like we need to. I'm going to do better. You know, I think it's important to not have to be a perfect parent. Right. No. Uh, and it benefits your kids not to be perfect. So. Right. Exactly. Um, and then I guess the other piece of that is, so we talked a little bit about face-to-face, -face, but for some, at least where we're at in Georgia, and I think other states as well, because I have family and friends in other states as well, they are going to continue with digital learning and 100% online and no face-to-face, -face, at least for the foreseeable future of we're not sure how long. And so that lends itself to a little bit different dynamics for families. And some of it may be the same advice, but is there anything different that you would say for that group of, of families that are looking at it? It almost seems like a continuation of something that will never end, right? Like I remember saying, I will never homeschool. And then I was like, well, evidently, <laughs> I'm going to learn how to digital learn because I evidently did not, and I have an undergrad elementary ed. And so and my husband's an educator, but it's still, you know, having an educator hat on at the same time you're having a parenting hat on, it is just near impossible. It's very, very difficult. And so I didn't know if you had any words of advice as far as anxiety for children that are, you know, and I've heard some people say, you know, actually it's been the opposite because since they are home and they don't have to read out loud that some of the anxiety has been reduced for them. I've heard people say that as well. And so for some, it may be more anxiety going back than staying at home. But for those that do have anxiety, maybe just because of, of the world around us and what's going on, do you have any thoughts of how parents can help ease that stress when they're home 24 <laughs> seven? Yes. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, that's so many different things. Like 
having to be a teacher and a parent, like we are not supposed to be like a school teacher. We are a parent teacher. And so it's a very like challenging place to occupy because I think kids usually feel more comfortable to act out with you than they would ever feel to act out with your teacher. So, you know, your kid's not boohooing and storming off in the middle of class most of the time, but with you, they're like, you didn't sharp my pencil. And they're just having this. So it's, it's a very it's a challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And to realize your child is probably a pretty lovely person at school. It's just because they're home and they're stressed um, that they're like this. I think it's important, especially if we know, okay, we're, I think APS is nine weeks, the public school system onto virtual. So my family's in New York. There's still, I think, virtual. So I think creating that space and routine again, because hopefully this summer you've gotten a little more chance to stretch out or get outside. Traveling seems not a great idea, but, um, you know, just doing things. So as we shift back into school mode, I think really having that space in your home and, um, I do think what you say is true about that some kids are less anxious because they get to be home. And I think when they eventually go back, that's going to be a a difficult thing, but to try to, at least you can maybe reap the benefits of being like, Hey, you are at home. Like now we don't have to worry about this. So what else can we dig into? Because your brain isn't occupied with being stressed about public speaking Uh, or even integrating like a, activity or a class that maybe they really enjoy, like making sure to be like, let's like end our day with some art or, and schools do it all different ways. Cause some of my clients, I feel like are on with their teacher and then others can just kind of log on, get the assignment, log off. Um, and so as much as you can being a collaborative partner with your kid, um, in that process, I think is, you know, and, and again, being tuned into what kind of kid do I have? So this might, as a parent before school starts, Maybe take a moment and kind of inventory your kids. Is my child an extrovert or an introvert? Are they a thinker or a feeler? You know, maybe even take a moment to reflect on personality, and that might give you some clues as to how to most effectively help them on the virtual learning front. Um, I do part of their uh, part of their learning styles because I know, like for us. Our daughter is very much, Hattie's very much an auditory learner. I mean, she can listen to a presentation and answer all kinds of questions where I'm very visual. I want to draw a picture. I want to use a highlighter. I mean, we're just, we're very different learners. But I think for parents, that's important to know, you know, because as you're working with them and they may be getting frustrated, it might be because they are a visual learner. So maybe they need to write it on a card at flashcards or use chalk or or whatever they might need to do for also kinesthetic learning. But I think that that may be something too over the summer to be thinking about is, you know, how does my child receive information that's, uh, I guess, works best for them or that they thrive in? Yeah, because this is a time we're stuck at home for the most part, it sort of stinks, but it's kind of an opportunity, hopefully to, if you can get past all the crazy and the frustration and the whining that we're stuck at home, is an opportunity to really like, pay attention to your kids learning. I really appreciated being a part of their classroom this past spring. And I was like, oh, wow. Like I sort of had forgotten some of these rules and things. So it's an opportunity maybe to appreciate your dyslexic learner and to really see how hard they're working because being a dyslexic student is hard work. And even when you're remediated, you know, you do have to go the extra mile sometimes to proofread or spell check your work. Um, and so it's a really chance to say, wow, I'm really proud of you. That was a hard day. Like, 
And I think you know, really catch your kid working and, and be sure to catch them on that mindset track of effort and, you know, lean into those things. And yeah. I think you said earlier too, about, you know, we've had a, a minute to kind of think through things where last year it was like every week I thought was the last week, right? Which that was naive <laughs> of me, <laughs> but anyway, but, you know, as we think through that, you know, I think, um, for some of us anyway, or I can just talk about my experience is that I've got to learn that it's okay because we are at home to be a little bit more flexible. And there was some built in time where we could, you know, if, if we didn't get to everything, I could hold it over to, you know, later in the week. But I found for us early on, the beginning of the week was much more productive than obviously by the time you get to the end of the week, we were all tired. And so I think too, you know, like you were saying, just taking some cues and maybe they're, maybe they're nonverbal cues, you know, what do they do when they're tired? You know, is it time to take, you know, you know, it's okay to take a 10 minute break and you know, let them jump rope or uh, have a snack or, you know, it just, it may look different and that's okay. Yes. Yeah. It's just such a great, and it's, it's kind of a cool experience because we're not active participants in our child's learning. And I'm sure this is like the helicopter parents dream and the teacher's nightmare for me to be like, I have a question, Ms. So-and-so. Right. You know. Pop in and ask you a question. <laughs> yeah. And I think as, as dyslexic parents, like parents of kids with dyslexia, it's like a weird balance because you don't want to be a helicopter, like enabling them, but you do need to be an advocate. And so that's a great, this is a good opportunity, again, to kind of figure out where that line is for your child, because I think we are more challenged sometimes as dyslexic parents, because our kids are not just going to be able to be like, oh, I just logged on and finished it. You know, they, they're going to need the extra support. Right. And, and I think, and I think honoring that that's hard as a parent. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. I, yeah. It's kudos to all the, the moms out there that did both and dads, because yeah. that was just, it was, it was a heavy lift. And so hopefully we've had some time to reflect on things and we can move forward with what works best for our families. So yeah. As we kind of near the end of our interview, one of the things I would love to know is, um, do you have a favorite story you would like to share with us? It can be, you know, something personal or something from your practice where you, you know, you really saw someone blossom from, you know, dyslexia, but do you have a favorite story that you like to share with people? Um, so many. Um, I have a lot of like, you know, to me, if people are like upset about their child being dyslexic. I'm like, no, welcome to the club. Like, you know, I just, I really get excited when a child finds out they're dyslexic. I'm like, fantastic news. Like we are in the learning train. You and I have the secret power and now I'm going to help you use it. Um, and so for me, like some of the most magic moments are when I first start working with a child who feels very discouraged about their dyslexia, or maybe feels like they're dumb or stupid that, you know, after doing some work together, then they leave my office either. I had one little girl who we wrote this like beautiful poem. We wrote a poem as a group about being dyslexic. And then she just read it in front of a group of parents. This was at the end of one of our camps. And I mean, I just almost teared up because I was like, wow, like your confidence, like and confidence, that's the thing we haven't really mentioned as much, but is so important. Like giving these kids confidence and finding finding their joy to realize that dyslexia is a gift and a challenge. And you can have something that is both of those things. Cause it's just magic when you see a kid with dyslexia really embrace and thrive. Um, because I think it's possible for all kids with dyslexia. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's just a relief to know why, you know, Yeah. 
because I know when Hattie was diagnosed in first grade, when she was first identified, you know, I remember we had a couple books that we read with her and one in particular that we read with her. And it was so sweet because she asked, can I take the book? It was like show, not show and tell, but they were doing something at school anyway. And she asked, could she take her book with her? And so I reached out to her teacher and she said, absolutely. And she actually shared the book about dyslexia with her first grade students, with her co, you know, her, her little um, friends. And um, they were just like, the teachers were just in awe. They were like, this is so amazing. And the kids were able to ask questions and she tried to answer them as best she could. But uh, she was really relieved to know what it was and what it meant. And um, we talked about, you know, what would be next as far as, you know, maybe looking for a school and whatnot. And, and she's like, you know, I think this, this is a good opportunity for me to look for. An, and I was just like, wow. I mean, cause she, at that point, what she's like seven and I was like, okay. And just, it was, you know, I'm not going to say there weren't hard days cause there have been, and there will be, but uh, it was, you know, amazing to see that little, that little light that, Oh, wow. This, this is, this is not a bad thing. This is just, I, my brain works differently and that, and that's okay. So yeah. And I just think that's the most important thing for parents and kids to know. Like this, this is not, this is hard news, but it's certainly not bad news. Like, and in my opinion, I'm personally biased. <laughs> I think it's good news. Like, I just feel like dyslexia helped me do so many things that I do in my life now that I don't know if I were not dyslexic or had not recognized that side of myself, would I be doing? Like, would I have the courage to start my own business? Would I have the courage to Someone told my parents I'd be like bagging groceries. Someone would be like, here's my doctorate sucker, mm-hmm. you know? So I just think like, don't underestimate what your child can do. It's right, right. Awesome stuff. Absolutely. So, all right. My last question is this. Is, Get on my Bring it. Okay. Was, what's the best advice you've ever received as a mom? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh Some of the best advice I've received actually as a mom has come from many of the parents of my clients, especially when I was like first having kids. I think it really humbles you to be a parent. It's like when you're a teacher or you do therapy, I'm like, oh, I know kids. I'm going to be really good at this. And then I'm like, exactly. oh my. It's the hardest job ever. I think it's just the best advice really just to like enjoy those small moments with your kids because it's such a quick, just flies by. So you have really, this is just like a chapter in your life. Parent is just one part of this big adventure. And so I think it's just really trying to like embrace these small moments and like get to celebrate your child's achievements. Cause I think that's like the best part about being a therapist is I get to be like, you beat the like sneaky sleep monster. You like, told your ADHD you weren't going to do this today. You know, it's just, it's so fun. And I feel like I always have to remember to like, take that home with me and find what are those great moments and find that work-life balance, which once again, will be a challenging adventure this fall, I'm sure. Yes. Yes. Figuring out how to integrate that and, uh, and prioritize that is going to be quite an adventure. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. It's been delightful. I always enjoy talking to you and you have so much great advice. So we may have to do this again sometime. Anytime. Where can people go to learn more about you and your amazing practice? 
Um, so you can go to www.peachtreearttherapy.com. Um, and we really specialize in treating kids, teens, and families with a wide range of issues, um, dyslexia, and sort of the interac interaction of dyslexia and emotional health is a big one that I do, but we work with um, executive functioning challenges, anxiety, depression, all different sorts of um, emotional challenges, or even just life adjustments, um, like changing schools or shifts in your family dynamic. So um, we are here to help, and I really value working as a collaborative practice that is non-judgmental and a safe space for children and their families. So that's what I do. That sounds wonderful. Well, thank you again. I appreciate it. Yes. Well, thanks so much. This is fun. One of the things I put together for you is a free resource. And if you go to dyslexiamomlife.com, you can sign up for the free resource. Let me tell you what it is. You're going to love this. It is a back-to-school survival guide for moms. And it is nine tips for you to thrive this school year while raising a dyslexic child. So this is just a quick little nine tips what you would expect to see inside this free resource is tools for you, things that you can do to get the most out of the school year personally. I've also uh, provided a few tips for your student as well, things that you can do that's all about the school to set them up for success early on this school year. And these tips, it won't matter if you're in person, if you're doing a hybrid model, if you're completely digital, it doesn't matter. As long as you're working with teachers and whatever setting that looks like, then you'll find these pieces to be helpful as well. And we're actually going to be talking a little bit about that in one of our episodes as well, as far as how do I go about looking at all of my options. But as far as the resource is concerned, you also have a few tips on how do you excel? How does your child excel at home? And what does that look like? What are some components to that? And so I would love for you to jump over to the dyslexiamomlife.com to get this free back-to-school guide for moms. You're going to love this resource. And I've also put together some other freebies that you'll get once you sign up as well. This resource was created specifically for you and specifically for right now and what our world looks like. This survival guide for moms, putting you in a position so that you thrive this school year, even as you figure out how to educate your child or children with dyslexia. And the last thing I need you to do is hit that subscribe button. Go and look where you're listening to this podcast right now and subscribe. That way you will get automatically downloaded every episode in this back to school mini series. And you're not going to want to miss not one episode. Thank you. And if you're enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to also leave a review or comment where you listen to your podcast. Thanks. Appreciate it. Take care.